I'm recording and I'm not funny. I'm funny looking, though. Look, you have a face for podcasting. What can I tell you? Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode that covered their case on The ID Show Disappeared. Girl, I said that with no script. I was going to say, you really worked through that really, really well. (laughs) I'm really proud of you. (laughs) You guys, before we jump into it, I just want to remind you, join our Facebook group. Girl, what is it called? It's too many words. I know. It's a lot of words. It's, it's, (laughs) hold on, it's... (laughs) Wait, it's Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. But if you just put Obsessed with Disappeared, it comes up. That's true. And the other thing, you guys, every Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, Ellen and I are going live on our Instagram page. What's that one, girl? That one's called, so my name is Ellen, and we do a podcast called Obsessed with Disappeared. (laughs) Our handle is The Disappeared Pod. Yeah, and we go live every Friday, 6 p.m. We call it Friday Night Live to, like, talk about the case, to basically let Ellen make fun of me while I just get drunk. And we've got, like, updates on stuff. Like, we've got, we've really got stuff to tell you. We have stuff to tell you. Okay. But come, yes, hang out with us. We love socials. We're social people. We love to say hi. We love reading your comments. We love your idea. What I say? You know, you don't have to yes and everything. Sometimes we just can move on to the next thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trained in the art of improv. <laughs> episode eight you guys it's a bonkers one it's called a long drive home it's the case of michelle mcmullen so let's just say this we have a lot of updates on this case and we have a lot of emotions surrounding this case so be sure once we're done recapping this episode that you do stick around for sort of our p.s yeah of the episode i mean we have to talk about it girl this is the first episode of disappeared that covers a person of color and i think that the choice of making it this case was a misguided one and we'll get to it at the end yep i couldn't agree more and that is a perfect perfect way to intro it and uh, let's let's jump right in michelle mcmullen an adoring single mother and dedicated student vanishes on a road trip her family knows nothing about something has happened to her but we can't find where she is this is a missing person this is a mother this is someone that people want to find they care a lot about her her parents feared the worst god i know you know where she is but help us to find her Police dig deep for evidence to explain her disappearance. If she was in some sort of distress or trouble, we wanted to find her and help her. They turn up nothing. Until her car is discovered abandoned across the state line. I couldn't understand how it could all happen in front of their eyes and no one have any, any idea what took place. But as police work to unravel the mystery, they discover a trail of clues that takes the case in an unexpected direction and leads to an extraordinary conclusion. All right, so the very first thing we see in this episode, I don't know if it's been like this for every episode and I just haven't noticed it, but it's like on-screen text that says, this program contains dramatic recreations. And I just thought like, I want the recreations to be just like really dramatic. Just like like me in a room throwing a table. (laughs) Just like ripping paintings off of walls. Just, like, really dramatic. No, it's never said that before. You're right. It's, like, in prior episodes, did people think that the reenactments were, like, actual footage? (laughs) So, 
Let's set the stage. We are in Ruston, Louisiana, Saturday, September 27th, 2008. We meet Michelle McMullen. So before she goes missing, we find out that she is going to take an 18-hour drive from where she lives in Louisiana, where she goes to school, to go see her parents in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We learn that she's bringing her son, who's six at the time, his name is Jaden, to her parents. And then we sort of like flash back. It's so weird how like... This show needs to start with like a moment. Right. It's like, guys, can we just go in order? It just makes it, <laughs> it it's much easier to talk about if we just go in goddamn order. But you know what? You do you, ID. <laughs> ID didn't check with us. No. <laughs> a month earlier, Michelle had moved with Jaden thousands of miles away so she could complete her degree at Grambling State University in Louisiana. So now we're flashing back. It's August 2008. It's a month before the day she's taking this road trip. And we learned that, like, she had moved to Louisiana to complete a degree at a place called Grambling State University. Right. She moved away from her home because she was offered a grant there. Right. And so she went to where the money is. So then we meet her adoring parents, Lily and Michael McMullen. You know, they say she's a great student. She was focused. She was a loving mom. She was very serious. She was taking online courses. And when it got close to uh, the time for her to complete her studies, they told her she had to go to school there in order to finish. She has been a very dedicated mother. Jaden has been uh, pretty much her life. Uh, She's spent uh, most every waking moment uh, caring for him. The crazy thing is she packs up her life in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She drives to Grambling State and they essentially tell her, hey girl, this grant actually isn't ready or processed. Is that a thing that happens? Like I remember like the college financial aid situation was a total fucking nightmare when I was going through it. But I feel like I would never have shown up at school not knowing for sure that I was going to be allowed to go to class. Right. I mean, and that was the thing. They said you could come back in, I mean, listen, she had to pay for everything, right? Books, room and board, all that stuff, which this is going back to 2008. You and I went to school in like 1902 and it was an <laughs> arm and a leg. So so they said, well, you can come back in January. She's like, wait, 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 yeah. wait. I just drove to Louisiana. Now you want me to go to back to Pennsylvania only to come back to Louisiana again? Like, no. Resolved not to let her financial situation become a barrier to an education, Michelle takes a job at a local McDonald's. But the pressures of being a single parent and a full-time student become too much for her. So she decides to stay, and, like, this I couldn't imagine. Like, you know, remember when we were in college? Mm -mm. And, like, the whole... Those memories are in black and white. Yeah. But like the whole thing was that like now if she's going to stay, she's going to have to pay for everything. So she's got to get a job. She's got her kid. I cannot imagine the nightmare of like full-time school, full-time mom, full-time work. The parents then say what any loving parent would say. They'd say, listen, bring your son to us. You need to focus on your schoolwork. This is your future. We'll take Jaden while you finish school. You know, you have enough on your plate. And she agrees. And honestly, that was the best decision. Yeah. Except it's executed weirdly yep because (laughs) here's the left turn i spoke with her and um you know about me coming down flying down to pick up Jaden and bringing him back 
then she decided that that's what she would do. But that's not what happens. Yeah, like, so Michelle goes to work one day, and her boss is like, hey, we're doing some, like, scheduling shenanigans, and it's Friday, and you actually don't have to work tonight, and you don't have to come back until Tuesday. So she's like, great, like, a four-day weekend, I can drive my kid home to my parents and, like, be back in time for school on Tuesday. Right, but that wasn't the plan. Lily, her mom, was going to fly and pick up Jaden. So that plan was plan B, and Lily and Michael, her parents, were not privy to that information. The announcer, you know how I love the announcer? The announcer goes, No one could have predicted what Michelle would do next. Girl! I mean, it's literally like The Bachelor. It's like, I mean, yeah, of course, there wouldn't be a show if we could predict what she did next. Okay. So it's September 26, 2008, right? This is like the long weekend that she has off. So Michelle decides she's just going to get Jaden in the car and drive the 1,200 miles. Remember, like, the beginning of the show when, like, she's loading Jaden into the car? We're back to that. Curiously, Michelle chooses not to tell her parents she's decided to make the 1,200-mile trip from Louisiana to Pennsylvania. Okay, you guys, this is what we do with true crime, right? Yeah. We go through life with these life lessons, right? Yeah. Don't go near a white van. You know, don't travel in couples. Don't go on road trips when you've not told anyone where you're going. Do you ever feel bad for the people of like 2008 and before? Like before true crime podcasts and true crime documentaries were like a thing and they didn't know these lessons yet? It's like all this crazy shit has to happen to these people, girl, for us to learn these lessons. It doesn't seem fair to me. It doesn't. They they, like, they didn't know. But like, we're back to the parents and like, we are immediately getting this sort of, I don't know how else to describe it, but denial. Well, when I I spoke with her before her just appearance um she didn't give me any um inclination or anything that she was coming up that time and i think she may have wanted to surprise us you know and uh, to show us that she can take that kind of drive. And so the mother is like, I think she didn't tell us because she wanted to surprise us. And I just have like in parentheses and really small letters. I don't think that's what happened, girl. I don't think that's right. <laughs> it's so true. You guys buckle up. These parents, you they are in denial. So Michelle's about to get on the road with her son to drive this 1,800 miles and tell nobody. But before she does that, on Friday afternoon, September 27th, 2008, she attends her college's homecoming football game. And I think that's an interesting detail because that sort of seems like somebody who's invested in their college. Right. If you were planning to like run away and never come back, why would you bother going to the homecoming football game? Well, we haven't gotten to the fact that she's running away. Well, we are watching a show called Disappeared. So I wrote, (laughs) she goes to a football game because school spirit? Because also that means she's like getting a late afternoon start. Who wants to drive through the night? Is it just me and my shitty eyesight? Or just like everybody would rather drive during the day. It mean, yes, you have shitty eyesight and you're an old person and you go to bed at 8.30, but that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's just all weird. Do you know, wait, sometimes I'm like getting ready for bed at 8.07 and I start to get nervous that I'm not already asleep and I think, I don't think the rest of the grown-up world operates like this. Like, I have something to tell you at like 9.47 and I look at my phone, I'm like, dang it, gotta wait till tomorrow. Yeah, but then you get a response at 4.15 a.m., bright and early, girl. That is not a lie. That is not a lie. That's not a lie. So here's where it gets a little crazy. So I'm going to say that 47 times. So (laughs) I'm the announcer. Here's where it gets crazy. crazy. Michelle makes one phone call from the road to a childhood friend in Harrisburg. I understand that Michelle, upon arriving in Harrisburg, spoke to her friend, uh, told her friend that she was coming in town. 
and that she needed to drop her son uh, with her. She calls her friend in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is where her parents are from. Yeah. And we're led to believe the only person she calls is her friend. And she says, can you watch my son and then take him to my mom's on Tuesday once I'm back at school. Now, <laughs> they definitely like talk about this detail as though it's like everybody does this. Yeah. Like this is a totally normal thing. Like I as the viewer am led to believe, okay, she's driving to her parents. No, 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 no. She's driving to her friends. Who like lives down the street from her parents. Right. Also, please don't tell them until Tuesday right. that you have my son. I mean, the friend, by the way, who we never learn her name. I say curiously. And then I say, see announcer, I'm, you're not the only one who can say the word curiously, girl. Yeah. So, friend was told not to tell everyone and that's where I gave birth to baby kittens and started screaming like Patrick. I was like... Gave birth to baby kittens, I girl. I don't know. I, I don't know. That, I don't know where I... I, 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 don't know. I don't know, Patrick. Who does that? No, it's crazy because she also, she gets there. She gets to the friend's house and she like doesn't even take her coat off. Around 8.30 Sunday evening, Michelle arrives at her friend's place in Harrisburg with Jaden. After meeting with her friend, she got back in her car, and uh, this was about 9 p.m. on Sunday evening. Before starting the 18-hour journey back to Louisiana, Michelle assures her friend that she won't continue without stopping to rest. She's like, hey, girl, here's Jaden. Uh, remember, mum's the word until Tuesday morning, and bye. bye. But like in the reenactment, we see her like slip something to the friend right. that looks like an envelope of cash. It's not, you guys. Stay tuned. We'll get back to this. So I call shenanigans on this as well. Apparently, friend was like, hey, do you want to like sit for a minute? Do you want to nap? She's like, no, <laughs> I got pillows. I got blankets. I'm going to nap on the road. And I'm like, if that were my friend, I would be, I know. No, you are not napping on the road. You're sitting and you're taking a GD nap on my couch. The parents who are in denial are like, well, there's a reason actually why she dropped Jaden off with the friend and not with us. Certainly our feelings uh, were that Michelle did not contact us uh, primarily because we would have not left her leave immediately upon arriving after driving such a long time. Yes, of course. They would have made her stop and rest. She drove 18 hours and they asked Jaden if they stopped. They asked the little boy and the little boy said, no, we just stopped for gas. I know. So she drove all night. I'm not going to sing the song that's taking a lot of self-control <laughs> not to sing the song. Okay, fine. I drove all night. Okay. I'm sorry. No, give us the whole thing. <laughs> No, because when I sang This Car is on Fire, you edited it out and you got mad at me. <laughs> Wait, are we going to breeze over what Michelle's mother said she would have done to her if she tried to leave without taking a nap? No, 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 say it. <laughs> I would have insisted that she stay, you know, even if I had to sit on her and, you know, take her keys or whatever it is that I needed to do. But she would not have left that night. The mother said she would have sat on her. <laughs> I was like, Which I, I'm just saying is great parenting. Yeah. Look, if Daisy tries 18 hours and tries to get back on the road after leaving her kid with me, I'm sitting on her if that's what it takes to get her to go to sleep. Yeah. No. I basically do that already. I'm actually well-versed in how that actually does sometimes result in her going to sleep. <laughs> Listen, I agree with all of your parenting choices. You know I do. Thank you, girl. We're level-headed people like that. You know, <laughs> just really, you know, below the bar, calm, yeah. rational people. Totally. So the friend is still feeling a little weird about her turning around and not sleeping and then Michelle goes you know what tell you what I'll call you from the road yeah. she's like that's what I'll do and then the announcer's like and you know what girl she did it but Michelle promises her that once on the road again she will call to check in 
And she does. And I was like, yeah, but that call came from the driveway. <laughs> like, <laughs> Michelle got back in the car. And she's like, I'm going to sit here for, I'm going to count down from seven. Then I'm going to call my friend, say I'm on the road. I'm all good, girl. I'm good. Take care of my kid. Mom's a word till Tuesday. Don't make me say it again. Oh, it's so weird. It's just so weird. And that is what she does. She calls her. And that is the last call she made before she disappeared. And so then the next day, it's now Monday. The friend is like, I'm going to check on that bitch. Yeah. Because I feel like the friend woke up and was like, well, hang on a second. I got this kid that I'm responsible for until Tuesday. His grandparents live next door. They're not allowed to know. Draw the curtains. My friend was in here for eight seconds, didn't even have a sip of water, turned right back around to drive 18 more hours. I'm suddenly regretting not doing more for my friend. Right. Yes. So the friend makes a bunch of calls to Michelle. No answer. The friend, after making several attempts to reach Michelle, uh, uh, became very concerned that uh, possibly something had derailed or or there had been some issue. If I'm the friend, I'm like, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't think this is going to end well. She's like talking to the kid. She's like, do you think this is weird? The kid's like, just give me McDonald's fries. That's all I want. So Monday rolls around and she's like, I know I wasn't supposed to say anything till Tuesday. But now it's gotten weird. It's that emoji. You know the emoji with the teeth? Ooh. Do you think everybody who started this episode has turned it off by now? I mean, maybe. Just Honestly, it. It, just, it just keeps getting weirder. So she calls the parents, and the parents lose their marbles. Michelle's parents begin calling everyone they know who Michelle could possibly be in touch with hoping someone has had contact with her. They call work, they call school, they call friends. The announcer says they called everybody Michelle knew. Yeah. To which I was like, yes, girl. Yeah. That's how you parent. Yes. You sit on the kid to make him go to sleep or stay and not drive another 18 hours, and when they go missing, you call everybody they know. As far as I'm concerned, Lily McMullen can write a parenting book, except for the denial thing, yes. but her tactics <laughs> are on point, okay? I totally agree. I would read that book. So they're, they're freaking out, and then here is the thing that really sets it is she doesn't show up for class on Tuesday. But on Tuesday morning, when they find out Michelle hasn't shown up for her classes, they know something is very wrong. It's almost unheard of for Michelle to miss school. I was thinking about this, like, imagining a world in which I think 27-year-old Daisy, my daughter, is in college, like, with her son, and she's struggling a little bit, and I find out that over the long weekend she had been home, right. but didn't come and say hi? Yes. The spidey senses are going off. Totally. But they do that thing that a lot of parents do, and they start quantifying, and they start saying, oh, what if she didn't hear her phone, or what if she's tired, or, and I get that, because while you you and I are certifiable crazy people, most people would think with a level head. What must that be like, girl? I don't know. What was an existence like that even like? <laughs> I can't imagine it. They, you know, they start thinking of all these scenarios until Tuesday and that's where they call the police and then here we go. They say this thing. Now, hang on to your hats. They say this thing. She's not been missing for long enough. The authorities said that at that point they couldn't help us they couldn't uh, they couldn't do anything until the, the the necessary time had elapsed of her missing so pretty much throughout that tuesday we are we're very concerned we're very 
I want to almost say frantic. It's kind of unbelievable. And that's when the dad, the dad who is very calm, he goes, we were concerned. Yeah. Almost frantic. Yeah. The dad is is very <laughs> level-headed. I did a little bit of research on this because we had this with the Billy Smolinski case. Yeah. Where he wasn't missing for three days. And I was like, what the heck is this about three days? So I did some research into Pennsylvania law. <laughs> of course you did, girl. You're going to be a lawyer by the end of this. <laughs> Okay, so in 2008, it does say the waiting day was three days. But in 2015, it says the waiting was 24 hours. Now, updated law was in 2019. It says a person may be declared missing when his or her whereabouts are unknown and unexplainable for a period of time. Oh, here we go. Great. Yeah, it is not specified. So do you know what I did? What did you do, girl? So people are either going to think I'm crazy, which would be right, or really, (laughs) really crazy. Okay, so I I called the Harrisburg Police Department. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, and you know what they said? They answered the phone and like now I'm gonna do the mic work. They're like, "You're who?" Calling about (laughs) what? And then it was like, "Hey, Bill, we got some dumb podcaster calling again about the waiting period." (laughs) No, she says she makes a podcast. Yeah, no, it's a podcast. I don't know what she wants. Should I tell her to call back? She's on hold. I'm not on hold. Okay, so I called the Harrisburg Police Department and they said as of 2019, there is no official waiting period for reporting a missing person. It's a department decision. (laughs) You guys don't go missing. She's fanning herself, you guys. She's fanning herself. Just don't go missing, you guys. Okay. I know. So that's what the Harrisburg Police Department said. He was actually very, very nice. I'm sure the cops are like, they're loving anything question related right now that has nothing to do with what's going on in the world. So he was lovely. That's true. (laughs) On Wednesday, 72 hours have now passed since Michelle went missing. Her father, Michael, is finally able to file a missing persons report. So the 72 hours goes by, they file the report, the cops get involved, they enter her into the NCIC database, which is like the nationwide database for missing people, and then they go and like they question the parents and they learn that Michelle suffered from like severe migraine headaches. And like, we get this story and this flashback to like Michelle once got a migraine so bad that she passed out and like little Jaden had to like call 911. Girl, he was five. Yeah. And like, have you ever seen shit in these documentaries where you're like, oh my God, my kid would not know how to do that. I would just die. Yeah, like, yeah. I would just be dead. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? literally was like, have I taught my 10-year-old how to call 911? I think I have. <laughs> I and I literally put up my to-do I, I list. <laughs> Tell Lola to call 911 if I pass out from a headache. I know. You know, so the idea now is like, especially from the dad, is like, girl, like she should not be driving. If she's like, hasn't had enough sleep, I guess that's a, that can bring on migraines. We felt that Michelle had been in an accident, that she just, uh, you know, was not in any condition to be driving uh, over a thousand miles uh, with such little sleep. So now they're saying, like, she could be in a car accident anywhere, like, especially between, like, Louisiana and Pennsylvania. We meet this one cop whose bedside manner needs some work. Some of those back roads down there, I mean, you could be missing for a month before anybody would spot your car. Girl! Yeah. <laughs> Is there a nicer way to say that, girl? Can we retake that? Do you have anything more sensitive? <laughs> Listen, Stanley, that's what we got to use. Okay. I love that in our imagination, the disappeared crew are the loudest fucking people. It's you and me making the show, girl. You and I shot every episode of Disappeared. Did he say months? Yeah, he said months. Months, he said? Does he know the parents are going to watch this? 
<laughs> or like for some reason the like the disappeared studios it's just one really fucking long hallway and there's no phones yeah so they just have to scream <laughs> So we find out, this is this is why I love Disappeared, we find out that Lily and Michael run a religious bookstore slash copy center. From the religious bookstore and copy center they run, Michelle's parents call and send Michelle's photo to hospitals along Michelle's planned route to Louisiana. I'd like to talk about that more. <laughs> So we're going to open this religious bookstore, which is great. There's got to be something for everyone. And they're like, but yeah. I don't know if that brings up enough revenue. We should also make it. A Kinko's. A Kinko's. <laughs> you know, for printing. I always need like, you know, a copy of a recipe with my side of like Psalms right. 87. <laughs> like, I don't even know. The amount of B-roll they got of them at their copy center. I feel like that's how they got them to do this. Yeah. They're like, we'll use the facade. Right. People will come. We'll put it on one of those websites we just invented because right. it was 2000 I don't know on the world wide web you say <laughs> but like the thing is like it's really sad because the dad is really doubling down on this idea that like she could be like dead in a ditch somewhere they're sending her photo to every hospital between Pennsylvania and Louisiana which is great that they have access to unlimited printing that's true <laughs> those color copies are not cheap you guys so they're super vague about this timeline and then they really casually drop in remember insert name here friend yeah they casually say we interviewed the friend to which i was like wouldn't that be the first person you interviewed (laughs) while continuing to investigate the possibility that michelle has been in a car accident harrisburg investigators also begin exploring other theories to explain her disappearance they interview the friend Michelle left her son with in Harrisburg. You're telling me that you interviewed the last person to see and speak to her? Get out! That is good police work, you guys. Good police work. But this is when we learn. So, like, we of course we see a, as they told us we would, dramatic reenactment. The friend is, like, sitting at this cop table in a cop station or whatever they're called. I don't know what a police station is called, girl. Yeah, it's, it's a cop station. It's like your motorbike. Right. But we learn that Michelle, and this is murky, this timeline. Remember I told you that like in the reenactment we saw Michelle like slide something to the best friend that looked like like an envelope full of cash no according to the friend it was a note now the friend is telling the police about the note and apparently the note was like instructions on how Jaden was to be cared for but also what they call perplexing statements she had perplexing statements but I also want to say that the friend who was interviewed you know 27 years later they're like should we talk to that girl yeah okay so they asked the friend and the friend was like yeah she ran away this friend had said to the police that um, michelle was running had ran away versus um her being missing right she just <laughs> drops in that casual information so to your point it was instructions and a note and i found one line especially telling of her mental state i don't know what's going on but i know the fingers are all on me i was responsible for everything I'm hurting and scared. I'm hurting and scared. Yeah, because it also says, I don't know what's going on, but I know the fingers are all on me. So you took the sad part and like left out the part that like maybe she did something really bad. Right. I'm just saying the hurting and scared would sort of give us some explanation as to her headspace at the time. No, I totally agree. But then we get the mom again. <gasps> and you know we love these parents. I really, really love and feel for these parents. But the mom, yeah. the mom is just like, look, I'm not 
not convinced that was Michelle's handwriting. Like, I know it wasn't. It was similar, but not the same. And I was like, now we're in some conspiracy where the friend wrote this note and, like, the mom is just not going to be made to believe that it was Michelle. And the note doesn't say anything. It doesn't, like, really accuse her of anything. No, it's not bad. I love how the announcer, though, the announcer says the note was an intriguing clue. After analyzing the letter and speaking with the friend, police find no reason to conduct a handwriting analysis. They believe the letter is from Michelle, but the statements made in the letter puzzle them. Do they prove that Michelle willingly disappeared? It's an intriguing clue. Really, Columbo? (laughs) I'd say that's motive and a confession and her headspace. Like, that's an intriguing clue. Yeah. I know. And so, like, the mom is convinced it's not her handwriting. And the cops are like, it's her handwriting, girl. Like, yeah. there's, we're not getting handwriting analysis. Like, she wrote the note, yeah. girl. And so now the cops who are like, this obviously is a note written by Michelle, it kind of appears that Michelle maybe went missing on purpose. Right. And the parents, again, I understand their denial, but it's just not helpful. Exactly. You know, they say, nope, she wouldn't run away. And I get it. That's a horrible thing to wrap your head around. But you got to listen to all these things and... These parents are lovingly being combative of all the information that's being put in front of them. A million percent. And like, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same. Like, you know, you want to believe the best in your kid and, you know, some shady stuff is going to come out in a minute and the parents are not here for it. And we'll, we'll get to that. But on Tuesday, October 7th, 2008, there's a major break in the case. Michelle's 2002 Honda Accord has been discovered abandoned just over the Pennsylvania border in neighboring Maryland near a truck assembly plant. We became aware Miss McMullen's car was here outside Mack Truck when Mack Truck Security called Washington County Dispatch. It's a week after Michelle's gone missing and her car's been found. And it was abandoned outside a Mack Truck plant, girl? Yeah, I mean, it just, it wasn't uh, a high traffic area. But it's like, tell that to the cops. Everyone is so mad at the people who work at this plant for not, like, reporting this car sooner. Right. Again, me who doesn't notice cars, apparently. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) That car's been there. (laughs) Wait, we meet one of my favorite people. We meet Sergeant Christopher Howard. He is the Washington County Sheriff, and girl, he does not want to be on TV. (laughs) When Mack Truck called us to report that the vehicle had been sitting here somewhere between seven and ten days, um, they weren't exactly sure. He's the anti-me. Yeah. He definitely does not want to be on TV. He was like, uh, yeah, I'll give you the information, but I don't want to be on TV. And they're like, no, you have to be on TV. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to be on TV. And they're like, no, no, you have to be on TV. His hands are folded. He is like straight faced. He's like, we got to the car. The car was there for seven to 10 days. I was like, Christopher, shake it out, buddy. Come on. He, he is like the epitome of cop speak. And then he goes, and she was, this is my favorite part. I don't know if you noticed this. He's standing with his hands crossed in front of him. And then he goes, she parked it on this access road here. And it was right. as if they told him to gesture. They were like, just move a little. Just just gesture to the road. Gesture to the road. And he's like, over here. It was so awkward. But the bottom line is that the car has been there for seven to ten days. Okay, wait. Was it closer to seven days? Right. Does anyone want to narrow that? Do you all not watch true crime documentaries? I mean, was it there Tuesday? Was it sunny? Did you work Monday? Did you work the Thursday? What time did you leave? 
<laughs> like seven to ten, I just find that way too broad. Remember the whole idea that she maybe had like a migraine and then like was in a major car accident? Well, that didn't happen. Right. Because the car was like totally intact. And so, you know, the, also the car was locked. And in the car, they find her cell phone, wallet, and ID. That's when the parents started to suspect foul play. And I was like, uh, of course they did. <laughs> the news of the car's discovery rattles the McMullins. And in their minds, points to only one possibility. I'll be very honest with you, I, I really, my heart sank because I felt at that point that she was taken from her vehicle forcibly. And then it like, it cuts right to the cops. You're like, yeah, there's no evidence of foul play, you guys. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I, again, I get it. And they, and you know, the, the mom was like, how could no one have seen her get out of the car? And I, I would want to point my finger at every single person too. Listen, if my daughter's car were, I would expect the police station to shut down yeah. and literally <laughs> only focus on my shit. I, know. I get it. I am the same way. But hold on to your Easter bonnets, kids, because it is Wednesday, October 8th, and we find out that there is a warrant for Michelle's arrest in Pennsylvania. The charges? Felony theft by forgery, unlawful taking, and deception of an amount over $2,000 from the church where Michelle used to work before moving to Louisiana. Yeah, this takes a turn. So, like, the warrant is for felony theft by forgery, theft by unlawful taking and theft by deception of an amount over $2,000. I also didn't know, like, isn't unlawful taking like stealing? Yeah. And then isn't the very nature of theft deceitful? Like, I just think someone's using big boy words. Like, calm down, Pennsylvania. Theft by deception. What's the other theft by not? I don't get it. Okay. Detective Michael Thornton is the lead investigator with the Susquehanna Township Police. Michelle was employed there as a, um, as a as an administrator at the church uh, she was in charge of doing uh, certain financial functions for the church she had worked for a church in a town called Susquehanna and the church is saying that she worked as an administrator and she got fired she'd only worked there for about a year she got fired for poor performance I just went ooh yikes <laughs> like a, you did a bad job working at a church yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we also learn that Michael, her dad, didn't know she was fired. Because that's fine. Like, totally. look, if you did a shitty job working at a church, you weren't that into the job, you get fired. Why? You're not going to tell people. Right. He thought that she left for school. That's fine. But then the dad gets a call from Detective Thornton about the whereabouts of Michelle because they were investigating this crime. I received a phone call from the Susquehanna Police Department, uh, uh, Detective Thornton who asked me, uh, did I know how to get a hold of Michelle? And he was very forward in that he said there had been an, a, uh, an investigation with things at her former employment. He indicated at that time Michelle was not a suspect. He said they were not looking to arrest Michelle or any of those things. So according to the church, what happened was Michelle got fired and then they did an audit because I guess Michelle was like, part of her job responsibility was like money stuff. And they find out that there was over $19,000 in missing funds. According to the church, we're going to get some pushback on that later, but according to the church, it was $19,000. So now we learn that there are two investigations going on. There is a missing persons investigation and there is also a criminal investigation. And the dad, Michael, makes a really astute point. Once there's any release of some type of criminal information, everybody's mind is made up. 
People are now convinced, well, she must have done something. That's what's wrong. Essentially saying they're not going to keep searching for my daughter because now she is placed in the national database, but now she's there as a wanted individual. Yeah, so it like it could potentially go from like we care about this missing mother, we need to find her, to like she's a wanted criminal, and it, you know it becomes a, a different thing. And like I gotta say, this really made me think of the Paige Burkfeld episode when they also in the middle of her missing persons investigation realized she was also. Doing doing illegal activities. She was working as a sex worker. And everybody went out of their way to say, like, it doesn't matter. Even the announcer in that episode was like, no matter what her job was, the police's job was still the same. And then Barb was like, well, <laughs> like, ugh, don't get me. I can't go back to Barb, you guys. I can't. But, like, all of a sudden, we're talking about Michelle in this episode as a criminal. Michelle's a woman of color. They never talk about Paige as a criminal in the Paige Bergfeld episode. And she was doing, like, illegal sex work when she went missing. And it's like, the disparity is pretty glaring. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So, now that they've reframed the case, they go back to insert name here, friend. And they give her a polygraph test. And they essentially <laughs> say, she's lying. She's lying about everything. Certainly Michelle's f- closest friend seem to have a very intricate involvement. There seem to be a lot of things and situations that involved or surrounded her close friend. This girl knows way more than she's saying. Like, she's the one that was told, like, don't call the grandparents until Tuesday. Here's the secret note that you've had in your possession the whole time, but, like, you didn't tell anybody about until we brought you in for questioning. Like, this woman is definitely shady. I was like, there's a reason she's not being interviewed for this documentary. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Sergeant Christopher couldn't get out of it, but that girl got out of it. Sergeant Christopher is still stuck there giving his roadside (laughs) interview. Poor thing. Still trying to figure out how to gesture naturally. (laughs) So like in this whole section, the dad is just saying like, you know, the thing about me is that all of my friends during this time keep telling me you're so cool, calm and collected. I've had a lot of people have said to me, well, you know, you seem to be so calm and so collected through all this. I'd be out of my mind. But uh, I knew my daughter was out there and that somehow I had to find her and being erratic, being uh, emotional, being, you know, disoriented just you know isn't going to cut it i mean you got to be focused and i'm like he really is like his daughter's missing she was either like taken against her will or she's a criminal like running from the feds and so like the dad has every right to be losing his goddamn shit and he's like you know what i am pretty calm he's like i knew my daughter was out there and i had to find her being erratic emotional or disoriented wasn't gonna cut it to which i said daisy never go missing girl because i will be of no use to you All right, guys, we go three months after her disappearance, December 15th in Martinsburg, West Virginia. An acquaintance of Michelle walks into a hotel called the Knights Inn. So this is 30 miles away from where her car is discovered and like 100 miles away from her hometown, right? Girl, why? Like, this is the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. You're not losing your mind? Give me five seconds to lose my mind. I can go from (laughs) zero to 60 in no time at all. Do not put a challenge in front of me. I will win every time. Okay, here it goes. Nearly three months after Michelle disappeared, an acquaintance walks into a hotel in Martinsburg, West Virginia. He's startled when he recognizes the woman working behind the counter. She appears to be Michelle McMullen. So he walks in, and what does Michelle do? She bolts it out the door, (laughs) and she runs! She literally runs! This is an example 
example of a dramatic reenactment. She runs for her goddamn life. And in real life, this is what happens. She does that Roadrunner thing where her legs like spin around 300 times yeah. and she is out. And everyone's like, that was weird. Right. <laughs> but the way they tell the story, it seems like this guy recognized Michelle, saw her like run out the back door, l- immediately gets on the phone, calls the local police department, not where he is, but where Michelle lives. That police department calls the police department where Michelle is working, and they get somebody there within 10 minutes, Michelle is gone. And she's not just gone from the desk. She had been living at that motel. She had gone to her room, packed her shit, and she was gone. Can you imagine working on that shift with her? And you're just like Monique as they think her name is where are you going girl right so don't forget she's going by Monique Watson at this point and I'm sure everybody's ears are perking up just like mine did I was like uh how did she get a job and they know her as a different name so this is a really really interesting thing hotel employees told me that Michelle had arrived kind of out of the blue told them that she was running from an abusive boyfriend and the hotel employees told me, they said, you know, once somebody tells us something like that, we don't really pry. Another interesting fact is Michelle did not provide an identification when she got this job. Um, the hotel employees told me that Michelle told her boss that she lost it in Katrina. And again, she hit the hot button. You don't ask someone about that. But like they're doing the right thing. Like they're just trying to give this woman who's like es- escaping an abusive husband a job. I say good for you, Knights Motel Inn or whatever the hell you're called. Absolutely. But here's the thing. When you get a job, what do you do? You fill out all your paperwork, your social security, your ID. She didn't have any of that because she was living under a different name. So she tells them she lost all her paperwork in Hurricane Katrina. So now she's falsifying abuse and she's falsifying this obviously this horrible horrible tragedy that the the South experienced. So they were like tugging at heartstrings and any person who's emotionally stable is going to try and help another human being. Of course. So they just kind of like let it all slide and they let Monique Watson work and live there. So guess who doesn't believe this? Her parents. Investigators determine with near certainty that the woman is Michelle. But the McMullins are not as willing to believe this woman is in fact their daughter. So now in my mind, I'm saying, is this really Michelle? So I'm saying, well, I know when the police get there, they're going to do some fingerprints, DNA, something to conclusively, you know, determine this was her. We had a positive ID. So at this point, there was no need to do any forensic stuff or DNA. Uh, we, we knew it was her. Uh, she'd been positively ID'd by two sources. And then the mom says, I don't believe it's her because we never got a 100% ID from the authorities. And like, look, if they were to acknowledge that like, yes, this is definitely my daughter, they would have to be saying she probably committed this crime. She's on the run. She's abandoned her kid. She hasn't called us. Like if all of these things are true, and I don't know if they're true or not, but if they are true, it's a very, very selfish way of behaving, if you ask me. Absolutely. Oh, guys. So with all of that hullabaloo, everything sort of fizzles. Two years go by. The trail goes cold. And Michelle's parents wrestle with the possibility that they may never know what happened to their daughter. The original version of this episode ends with the family being like, I don't think it was her. I don't really know. The last like three minutes of this is an update because the episode originally ended with not knowing where Michelle was. Right. And so the ideas were like she was either dead, being held against her will somewhere, or on the run from like these felony charges. Right. And so all of a sudden it's it's two years later. And she's in 
my hometown of Oakland, California. <laughs> I knew you'd pop up one of these days, Oakland. I just didn't think it would be so soon. On January 21st, 2011, police in Oakland, California get a startling call which breaks the case wide open. Well, what happened was a disappeared viewer recognized Michelle as a woman who worked in the local salon. And my, like my mind is fucking blown because this means for two years, as far as we know, she's never contacted her parents. She's never contacted her son. And like, she's just been like getting away with it. Like you guys, she fled that motel and the cops were there six minutes later and she was gone and she like got away with it. She was gone. She actually, I found out this is a side gook. I actually found out she moved to Oakland, California for a boy. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. She met a boy and she went to Oakland, California. So that's why she was there. So uh, that is unbelievable. I mean, these, these shows really do work. This is a case in point. So they stake out the salon four days later. Oh, my God. And what does she do again? Michelle, who has been living under an assumed name, tries to flee, but is caught and arrested. The FBI, like, kicks down the door and Michelle bolts. Can you imagine if you're Michelle and you're, like, just at your salon job and all of a sudden the door gets kicked in and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, and you're just running for the back door. Yeah. Girl, they got that place surrounded. Like, you're not going to get away this time. Yeah. And they arrested her. And that's, again, like, the, where the episode ends. Like, we see her being, like, taken out of a jail or something, like, in handcuffs. We see her parents have, like, gone to see her. Like, they're all in the same parking lot together. Like, the parents parents have been confronted with the potential truth of what's happening. And again, we don't know. Like, we don't really know what happened. Right. We do know she was extradited back to Pennsylvania where her where she faced charges. Yeah. So she was taken from Oakland back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And that is where the episode ends. <laughs> <laughs> and where Ellen Marsh's side cooking begins. Here we go. Okay, guys. So here's the main thing. It is said she stole almost um, $19,000 worth of funds. That number has never really, really hit the nail on the head. So the church leaders later realized that it was about $12,000. I mean, we're crossing hairs and everything, but the charges do go up significantly with dollar amount. So that is really important. Uh So she stole from the county church. She was on the run. She did leave her son, abandon her family. So she pled guilty to theft and fraud charges. Now, because she was like a flight risk, risk, they did not offer her the chance of bail because she was on the run. And she's like great at being on the run. So probably a good call to not give her bail, you guys. Right. So (laughs) she did serve seven months before her trial. Now the prosecutors agreed to give her credit for time already served. So she actually walked after that. She did have to repay the money that she pocketed. And it said that she left the courtroom happy. Well, because honestly, like my feeling on this whole thing was like, if it's true, she did something bad and she didn't know how to get out of it. Like if she just could have had the presence of mind to go to her parents and say like, I really fucked up. Instead, she had to like abandon her whole family. And I get it. I understand why she would leave the courtroom happy. Like she's got her life back. You know what I mean? Like she can go on with like being a mom and member of society again. Her dad said in a statement to police, people do the darndest things. You never know how people react under sudden stress and pressure. They say and do things that are hard to take back. 
We also, something we didn't mention is that her mom was a pastor. And I imagine that shame was really wrapped around these poor decisions she was making. She did say in a statement in court that she was grateful that her parents never gave up on her. And she said, I was not encouraged to leave Pennsylvania. I was not kidnapped or forced to stay somewhere that I didn't want to be. The choices I made to leave were mine and mine alone. So she was very, very accountable. The thing that I've wanted to say this whole time is that like, you know, we know statistically that the the cases of missing people of color are represented in the media way, way less than the, the cases of white people being covered by the media. So I really want to hold ID accountable for the fact that this was the first case covered on, on disappeared of a missing person of color. It was a person who actually went missing by choice and who broke the law when they could have given this time in a series that already way underrepresents missing people of color. They could have given this time to a case that really needed like the attention that this case got. And I'm not casting aspersions on Michelle. I understand a lot of the pressures that she was under. Like I, this is separate from my feelings about Michelle. So I reached out to the Facebook group for True Crime Obsessed and, and asked if people could like give us links to places where there is coverage of missing people of color who have been underreported. And we're going to include a lot of those links in the show notes to this episode to just try to elevate those cases in a way that we can. Um, girl, that episode eight of Disappeared, girl, we're almost to the end of the season. Are we? I think there's only 12 episodes. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know, because my anxiety levels spiked this past <laughs> month, so that's probably why. Yeah. Great. Good to know. Good to know. You guys, don't forget, join the Facebook group. Girl, tell them what it's called. It's called Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Why don't you make it something better? We can change it. We can change it to t- talk with Ellen and Patrick. We don't have to make it something so complicated. Well, and also follow us on Instagram. Instagram, you guys, at the Disappeared Pod, because every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, we go live to talk about that week's episode in the case and yell at each other and make fun of each other. And it's just a really fun time, girl. It's a really fun time. So follow us on the Disappeared Pod on the Instagram, on Facebook, on the Twitter. They can find you at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. Correct. And you're at Ellen Marsh on all the things. You guys, I want to tell you that you can watch all of the episodes of Disappeared on ID Go. The first season is up for free. I want to also tell you that we are edited by Henry Lavoie, who I don't know how he makes solid episodes out of the garbage we send him. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Poor thing. We're like, no, wait, stop. No, go back. I know. Wait, what? Huh? Are you recording? I got to pee. What? Who? <laughs> That's it, you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. I love you. I love you, girl. I'll see you tonight because we're recording on a Friday and we go live on a Friday. That's right. <laughs> All right, bye. The thing about McDonald's is that everybody likes it. You guys, there's a there's a reason over 200 billion served. You all right. eat there in secret. We all we all do it, you guys. Just tell us. Just be yeah. honest. Just be honest with us. <laughs> <laughs> I just go crazy. <laughs> who's on top and who's on bottom now? You know what I mean? If you know that reference, I will love you if forever. If you know that reference, you guys, if you know if you know that reference, you get to be best friends with me and Ellen. Yeah. Right. I said then they. I apologize. I worded that wrong. Yeah. That they they then discovered God damn it, Ellen! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and podcast over. Oh shit, I'm not recording. <gasps> Are you serious? No. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an asshole. Oh, that was fun. That was my that was my fun for the day. Okay. 
still trying to figure out how to gesture naturally. Call me Christopher. I can help you. So three right. months. <laughs> She's got a side hustle as a teaching business, you guys. She's not She's not joking. Um, you too can learn how to gesture like a human. <laughs> you guys, we have six more hours of this. Okay, so <laughs> this podcast is going to be divided in 49 parts. <laughs>